0: Amateur Film School. I'm Sarah.
1: And I'm Brandon.
0: This week we're doing a little bit something different. Um, for this month we're going to do more serialized content. Um, like this week we're watching House Cards, we might watch Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones.
1: That, those are two separate shows. Unless there's some mashup I've never heard of. Oh yeah. Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones.
0: Breaking Thrones.
1: Breaking Thrones.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're just going to either pick one of our favorite episodes um, from each show and kind of discuss more serialized content yeah um so this week we watched house of cards the pilot yeah so we watched the pilot which was directed by david fincher who's an executive god yeah and also an executive producer yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) the subtitle of his career
0: yeah um so yeah he directed the pilot um I think we talked about them last week. Yeah, we talked
1: about it. Because we sent it unreliable videos. narrator.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, if you don't know what House of Cards is, I'm assuming that you've been living under a rock. Pretty much. House of Cards is a, a political drama centering on Francis Underwood. Um, the first season focuses on his relationship with Zoe Barnes, who is a, pol- not a politician, a political writer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She
1: works for the Washington Herald.
0: Yeah, um, which is not a real newspaper, obviously. Um, Yeah, and they kind of um, get into their relationship, both their professional relationship and their extramarital relationship.
1: Yeah. um, It's a nice way to put it. It is a nice way to put it. I'm sure you can extrapolate what that means. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it focuses on their relationship and sort of the underbelly of our government.
0: Yeah, I know a couple of politicians have been come forward and said, like, no, it's really accurate how mm-hmm. the political game works, but then someone was like, no, this, House of Cards is what politicians like to think their job is, but yeah. really it's more like um, West Wing or uh, Parks and Recreation. Right. I can't remember who said that, though. Um, so, yeah, um, Kevin Spacey, brilliant actor. Brilliant.
1: Um he can really make you feel uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Uh <laughs> So one of the defining features of the show is he pegs the camera a lot.
1: He breaks the fourth wall.
0: Yeah, he speaks directly to you. If you don't know what breaking the fourth wall right. is, um,
1: like he does the sides where characters around him don't even know he's talking to you. It's just like instanced.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like if the office was serious. Yeah, where he like, like someone will say something and he like when oh it's so like when they're in the office. Yeah. <laughs> In his office, and the, um, who is it? secretary's, uh, no. Not the chief secretary. Chief of staff of the Yeah, President. the chief of staff comes in, because um, he's like, oh, she's about to come in here and, and tell me that she's chosen Donald Blythe right. to write the...
1: Bill for education.
0: Yeah, and so she comes in, she's like, so, he's like, so, education, who did you peg? And she's like, Donald Blythe, and he, like, turns and pegs the camera, and yeah. it's so funny. It just
1: works every time. Yeah. It doesn't get old, and I love that they've kept it consistent, because it's such a good part of the show.
0: Yeah. So, um, do we want to kind of talk about what a pilot should do with these? With... Yeah.
1: So, um, I guess typically pilots, obviously they're like the first episode of a show. Um, usually, they have a much larger budget than the show would get normally because the showrunners use that budget.
0: <laughs> Is there a dog in my apartment? <laughs> Is it like in this cupboard? <laughs> Pretty sure we just have a cat. Right?
1: <laughs> so, pilots usually have a much larger budget than the show would actually get because uh, show owners use all that money to put a lot of effort into the pilot so that it gets picked up. Um,
0: it kind of establishes your characters and what the tone of the show is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, David Fincher created this, like, really. Like, everything looks really cold. It does. You know? Um, So yeah, David Fincher kind of um, set the tone and the pace of the show, which is what a good pilot should do. Um, What I want to talk about, though, is you basically know who Kevin Spacey's character is within the first two minutes. Yeah. So.
1: That cold open. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you want to talk about?
1: Um, So how the episode starts is you just hear a dog get hit by a car.
0: Yeah. Like, that's the first thing. The first thing. And it's
1: on a black screen. So you just hear it happen. And then the scene comes up to him uh, coming out of his house uh, to go and see what's happening because there's, like, the dog yelps and there's, like, tire screeching or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I guess he has security outside his house and he's like, well, somebody just hit this dog. Um, so then he goes to check on the dog and he sends the security guy to go get some help uh, or to call the dog's owners, I think. Yeah, they're like, cat.
0: oh, it's the whatever their name is, dog. Yeah,
1: uh, go call them and let them know that this happened. And then he talks directly to you in the camera um, and he basically puts the dog out of its misery
0: he chokes the dog. He chokes
1: to the death. dog to death as a way of ending its suffering. Yeah. So really he's saying by any means show. necessary, right? And that's basically his motto because um, the point of the show is uh, to show his rise of power, rise to power, mm-hmm. um, and he does whatever is necessary. So that's it's such a brilliant way to set up the show in like less than two minutes.
0: Yeah, I feel like other shows. Um, like I read this article recently. I think it was from Vox mm-hmm. about. Or it might have been, uh, what's that other one that does a lot of media articles? If I find it, I'll link it on the Facebook. Mm -hmm. But um, it's talking about how cold opens have evolved over the course of television. Yeah. And how recently, starting with Breaking Bad, is like a really big turning point for cold opens. They're not used to, um, like, further the plot any. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they're used as a mean to either build the world up more yeah. or build up a character more. And mm-hmm. I think this really um, hits the second one where it's not contributing to the plot. Like, the dog getting ran over has no big bearing on the plot and his rise mm-hmm. to power. But
1: it, it sets estab- up his character. Yeah,
0: establishes immediately who he is mm-hmm. as a person.
1: Right, it's like an event that's set outside of the show in a way to show you how he's going to act going forward.
0: Yeah. Like, normally, uh, cold opens are used in, like, comedies as, like, um, a small aside that doesn't really have to do with the plot, where it's just like, oh, we want this humorous situation with our characters. Mm -hmm. Parks and Rec did them a lot. Um, And sometimes they would lead into the plot, and then they'll reference it later, you know. um, I know Breaking Bad would do that a lot, where they would do these cold opens, and then, like, you wouldn't feel a payoff for, like, 20 episodes. Yeah. they would be like, hey, you remember that guy with the thing and the thing? Yeah. That you thought didn't have any relevance. Well, well now, now it matters. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the dog ever does, though. Right,
1: no. I don't think it ever comes up.
0: Yeah. So I really... Um, everybody's acting is really good, though. Yeah. Um, I think Kevin Spacey is, like, perfect for
1: this role. He is. Uh, like I said before, he has that ability to creep you out um, through the screen. Especially because he talks directly to you. Yeah. Um.
0: Robin Wright. I love her.
1: Yeah, she's a great... Uh, opposite of him. Yeah, she's a really
0: good foil. Yeah. Um,
1: She definitely accentuates him in the right way.
0: They both have that kind of like everything they say even if it's just like, oh, have a good day you're like, they're gonna murder me. Yeah.
1: Um, And they have
0: like a way of speaking that like almost seems like a threat in whatever they're saying. Yeah, like
1: in that one scene where Zoe, after talking to Frank for a little while at night, he's like, okay, it's getting late, you should leave. Um, Right before she gets out um, Claire, his wife, is like hello. And then she's like, oh, I'm just leaving now. And she's like, yeah, be careful driving because the ice, there's ice on the roads. And it's like, yeah. you feel like she's like, so if we kill you, that's the excuse. That yeah. you slippery and that's why you died.
0: Yeah. Like if you end up dead, I have a valid reason.
1: Exactly. Um, even if that wasn't explicit what, explicitly what she meant, you get that feeling from her.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So Robin Wright plays Claire Underwood, his wife. And then Zoe Barnes is played by Kate Mara. Um, David Fincher has worked with the Maras in the past. I can't remember which one was in Social Network.
1: Um,
0: I want to say it was Kate, but it might have been the other one. Rooney. Rooney. Did you ever watch Social Network? Yeah. Where she has that, like, monologue to
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Zuckerberg. Yeah. And she's like, you're going to think that people hate you because you're a nerd, but I want you to know that people hate you because you're an asshole. Yeah. I love that line. It's my favorite line. Um, yeah. Uh, Who plays Peter Russo? The bad
1: guy from Ant Man.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's where I knew him. I was like, he seems really familiar. Yeah, he looks really
1: familiar. <laughs> um, so it's Corey Stoll, who um, plays
0: kind of—is he the politician that they pick to like do their bidding?
1: Pretty much, because um, they're looking for somebody who's flies under the radar to be kind of like their their dog.
0: Yeah, their uh workhorse.
1: Yeah, so they find someone you know who they have control over. Um. And that's what's really important, because Frank knows about him, and uh, Peter Russo has a drinking problem, uh, and Frank knows that, so he uses that against them, sort of like blackmail, basically, um, yeah. which is a big part of the show, and I assume is a big part of actual Washington, D.C.
0: Maybe. Maybe. I have no idea.
1: Not that I would know. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> not that I recall. Uh, yeah, and then Doug Stamper his Who played is played by Michael Kelly.
1: Who plays uh, Frank's chief of staff. Uh, he basically does all his dirty work for him. Not that Frank doesn't do some of the dirty work himself,
0: but it's the more uh, he does the more like hands-on dirty work that, yeah. that Frank wouldn't want to be caught doing. Exactly.
1: Um, I love yeah. his character um, as it develops. It's been one of my favorite characters besides Frank.
0: I really like that everybody's quiet, like quietly devious. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know even Frank Underwood's character. Like he gets loud sometimes, and when he gets loud, you know it's like. He's on the edge of it, right? But even then, when he's never, like, yelling. And that's what I really like. Because there's, like, all this tension throughout the entire series. Mm -hmm. And then when it breaks, it's, like, it's satisfying.
1: Right, it is. Because it's been that slow, slow, slow buildup. And I think you get that way more out of television shows, which is why I'm so excited to be talking about TV shows. Mm -hmm. Because as opposed to movies where you have a plot and you have to hit all the points and get to the resolution, when you're given a TV show, you get to world build a lot more. Yeah. which means that you spend more time building the world, which means you can keep the plot simmering. Like, you don't want to leave it too far behind or people are going to get bored. But you can leave it like you're talking about how people talk low and it builds in the background. Mm-hmm. And then when you get those satisfying payoffs, it's been worth the wait, basically.
0: Which is why I think it's interesting that David Fincher would be involved in a TV show because he's he's very much about, the, like, one-offs.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, like, he has a very quick visual style, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he has always been adamant that he doesn't want to do any sequels. Right. Um, so all of his movies, they're either um, based on books or um, even if, when they are original stories, he's like, no. Like, he likes the encapu- uh, encapsulated stories. Right. Which is why I was, like, really surprised that he actually... Um,
1: Ventured into television?
0: Yeah, even however briefly. Right. Right. Because he just directs this one episode, right?
1: I believe so, yeah. I mean, um, he does a great job with it.
0: But we can talk a little bit about his directing style.
1: Yeah, um, I love his camera work. And it's evident in... Because Gone Girl is one of my favorite movies for cinematography as well. Um, but the cinematography in this in the pilot alone... Um, so yeah, he just, just did the first two episodes. Yeah. Um, it's just so satisfying to me. Um, like, oh. every shot... Like, I wanted to pick a favorite so that I could talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, like, every shot is my favorite. Um, it's just so visually pleasing And he does so well at tracking actors Um, as they, like Like when Zoe's talking to Lucas Who's, like, her boss, basically But then they have a boss above them Um, he's, like, her boss and they're in the break room or whatever And he leaves the break room The camera follows him But she's, first she starts on the left Of the frame And then as the camera follows him out, she ends up on the right But it feels so Perfectly framed the whole time In, like, sequential Yeah and like, every
0: shot makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, the camera follows him out, and then she's still in the frame the whole time because she's who our focus is on. Because he's leaving her, and we're focused on her face because, you know, he's basically giving her the shaft.
0: A lot of his camera work, it, he uses very little handheld. Like, he wants the camera to be omni. What is it? Omnipotent? Omnipresent? I want to say omnipotent.
1: We'll okay, with omnipotent.
0: Where it's, like, the camera is its own entity. Or
1: do you mean omniscient? No, you don't mean omniscient.
0: I'm gonna stick with omnip- omnipotent. Okay. <laughs> he wants the sing. camera to be omni. Yes, whatever <laughs> that means to you. Um, but He uses very little handheld. All of his stuff is on tripod, and mm-hmm. that's, like, very refreshing to me. As, like, shows are increasingly using that, like, handheld feel. So you feel cam. more cam. Yeah, shaky yeah, cam. It makes so you it feel, feel more real. In- Yeah, but then, like, people will, like, also edit in fake shaky cam, and it's just, like, it can be
1: really exhausting.
0: Exhausting. I cannot speak today. (laughs) Exhausting.
1: Just thinking about how exhausting it is.
0: Yeah. Um, Also, like, I know we've talked about it before, but a lot of modern things, shows and movies will have, like, those quick edits where it's, like, Mm boop, 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 you know? Yeah. Uh, But he will, like, stay on a moment and let it play out.
1: And he'll... He'll pan with the camera, and he'll track with the camera. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's better than going boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Um, when you follow actors around instead of just changing the angle of the shot, mm-hmm. um, there's just more There's more to absorb when you do that. Because, like, you can see the full room without having to show it from a different angle. And it feels a lot more like there's, there's more of a flow to it.
0: Yeah, and it gives it more of, like, a craft feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell that he's thinking through the shots yeah whereas um i know a lot of sets will use this tactic where it's like okay we'll film with six cameras at the same time and then we'll just cut together the shots that we think look good yeah like super multi-cam yeah but he's very about setting up his shot and being like this is it yeah you know
1: because being able to get like lighting is something that's really hard to set up Mm. and so to be able to show like a full room in one like track shot like that's really hard to do Um, which is why when people set up multi-cams, you can just get them from different angles.
0: Um, Yeah.
1: But then turning the camera around means that you have to set up the lights in such a way that they don't show up. And so to light a whole room like that and have it look that great is, it's really awesome.
0: Yeah. I'm totally a David Fincher fan. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite shot? Because I know that you like the title credits. I mean, I do
1: like the title sequence. Um... Just because it shows you, like, yeah, and it shows you, like, Washington, D.C. from sunrise to nighttime. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, like, cars whizzing by, people whizzing by, and there's no, like, specific subject. It's just the whole city, which is basically what the show's about. I mean, it's about Frank Underwood and stuff, but it's about where government is and what takes place there. And it shows, like, a bunch of different places. Like, it shows you all the monuments and stuff, but then it shows you, like, train tracks and, like, I don't know what I want to say.
0: Visually... Yeah,
1: and just, like, the amount of time it was to take to shoot all that. Like, just having a camera sitting there for however long. Yeah, Yeah. time lapse, that whole, like, it's a whole day. Um, yeah. And then, basically, throughout the entire episode, like I said, I can't really pick a favorite shot, but I've talked about how a rule of thirds is, like, my favorite thing ever. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty much everywhere. Like, back to the Zoe sitting in the break room shot, she's on the left, and she's in that third yeah. And then Lucas walks across and then she's in the other third and it's just perfectly framed that way. So I I guess I'll pick that as my favorite since I talked about it twice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I really like any shots of Frank in an office mm-hmm. because I feel like what David Fincher does is he juxtaposes him with other political figures. Yeah. Because any shot he's in um I know that there's like three things that are really important to Frank Underwood's character. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like it's video games. Yep. Um art and then like just his going ons. Yep. You know. Um and like everything is like really meticulously placed. Yeah, so I really for love sure. the shots where he's in his office and he'll be talking about like really shady shit. Mm-hmm. And like in the background you'll see like a painting of like Teddy Roosevelt yeah. or George Washington. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like
1: if your forefathers could hear you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or, like, the forefathers are always watching. But yeah. Um, like, that line in Hamilton where it's, like... I don't think you've gotten to that part yet. Probably haven't. Uh, it's during one of the cabinet battles, and Jefferson wants them to go to war in France because they promised King Louis that they would help him.
1: Right, because they, the French helped the U.S.
0: Yeah, and so there's, like, a line where Hamilton is like, uh, oh, do you want us to honor a treaty King Louis' head? <laughs> yeah. It's like... Um, cause like he's dead or what, what does he say? Oh my God.
1: How can you not remember?
0: Hold on, I gotta think through it. Oh, and then, so then he's like talking as King Louis he's like, do whatever you want. I'm super dead, mm-hmm. you know? And so I always like, I just love that line so much. And that's what I think about a lot when I think about politics and stuff. And people always bring up like, oh, what would our forefathers want? And it's like,
1: they're not here.
0: They're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah. Literary references is what, what I wanted to say. Earlier. Okay, yeah. Not, because I was trying to think, because there's, I was saying there was three things and, like, I had thought of it while we were watching, mm-hmm. but then I forgot, but it's, um so yeah, video games, because, like, every season there's, like, a different video game that he's, like, obsessed with, mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, so then art and also literary.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess you can talk about the importance of video games to him. Would you say it has to do with, like, control?
0: Yeah, it's almost like an outlet for him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's like it's whatever video game it is for the season. It seems how re- somehow it's always somehow relevant to the plot. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, the season he's really obsessed with a first-person shooter. I want to say it's Call of Duty. I mean, it looks like it. Yeah, it's, it's either a, it's Call of FBS. Duty or uh, Battlefield, and so it's kind of like he's gunning for more power. Yeah. You know, and since he, in this season, he doesn't have it, mm-hmm. it's almost like that's his outlet for him to feel in control and powerful. Right. And then in one later seasons, he's obsessed with that puzzle game Monument Valley. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, he's trying to like piece together.
1: Yeah, because that's what that, that game is about. It's about finding the right avenue to get what you want.
0: Yeah, and then in the most recent season, it was Furio.
1: Agario. Agario. Yeah, where you're basically, like, a circle and you try to eat bigger circles. Or yeah, you circles try to it.
0: absorb smaller circles until you're the biggest circle, right. basically. And so I really like that. And then, like, all of the art references, I, I like where they're sitting. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite shot. In the museum? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of on the nose, but it's when him, and he's gaining the trust of Zoe Barnes because he wants to leak political information to her to, like, help him gain power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the shot where they're sitting on a bench and they're in front of a painting of rowers, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, it's like a callback to social network because yeah. of the rowers. Yeah. And then, but also it's like, they're having to work together.
1: Yeah. Cause he's like, we're in the same boat now. Make yeah. Sure and that's what I was like, over. oh, it's on the nose. If that yeah. hadn't
0: been there, then.
1: Right. Um, and then he's like, I can only save one of us from drowning. Yeah. Um, and then rowing becomes important later on in the show too. Um, it didn't come up in this episode. Cause obviously. he is a rower, right? He yeah. Was, he was a rower in college. I think so. And so um that comes up later. It's sort of like his stress relief as well as video games.
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess exercise is really important to him too. Yeah. Cuz there's wife. a lot of shots where he's running.
1: Yeah, and she's and his wife Claire does a lot of running too.
0: Yeah. Um also music?
1: Music was really good. Um
0: the music feels really political.
1: It does. Is like, it the violence? Maybe. There's yeah. like
0: something about it that feels like it I like think it's the trumpets. The, like, mm, that like yeah, that yeah. slow like whine of it.
1: Right. It feels like there's deliberation going on all the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it really helps make the uh title sequence um just playing in the background and then showing basically DC by day and by night. And there's that music in the background. But it's not triumphant. It isn't.
0: It's very It's like everything else. It's like it feels quiet, mm-hmm. even though it's not.
1: Yeah. Because the trumpets, they try to be loud at some points, but then yeah. it like gets muted down.
0: Like, it feels dull around the edges, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to say?
1: Um, I wish we could watch more.
0: I mean, yeah, just go watch the entire thing. Yeah. There was, like, one thing that I wanted to say Um, about this being a political drama and about... That's what I wanted to say about David Fincher. But never mind, I won't say it, because okay. it's out of place now. I mean,
1: you could edit it back to where it's supposed to be. No, that's too much effort. Okay.
0: Because, <laughs> like, I wanted to say, like, I thought this was a nice change from West Wing. Because in West Wing, um, a lot of it is, like, everybody's in a big hurry. So they kind of started the trend of walk and talk. Mm-hmm. Where it'll be two characters walking through a hallway, just talking to each other really yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. You know? And then that's like the same. Yeah, It's, like there's them walking through an office. Yeah.
1: Um, I guess I kind of wanted to talk about one more aspect of Frank's character is his uh, obsession with cleanliness and religion, um, uh, and how okay. religion plays a big part in this show, uh, especially because it's like a juxtaposition to him doing shady stuff, trying to gain power, but then being religious. Um, there's a lot of times where after he kills the dog at the beginning, or. Yeah, he kills the dog, basically. Uh, He's washing his hands. um, And then he's getting lunch at wherever, and he's washing his hands, or he's using hand sanitizer to clean himself. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that use in um, entertainment. I don't know if that's the word I want to use. But uh, juxtaposing being that clean when it's somebody who's doing all this crap, it's kind of a way to, like, absolve yourself, even though you're not really absolving yourself. Um, And then he goes to church to...
0: I feel like the church thing is really about appearances, though. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't seem like a believer. He doesn't. He just goes because it's expected of him mm-hmm. as an American politician. Right. To be religious somehow. Exactly.
1: So it's kind of like a mask that he has to put on.
0: What is it that the priest said? Because I felt like it was relevant.
1: Um, it was about you. nothing can save you from going into darkness except faith. Something like that.
0: Let me look it up real quick.
1: Nothing can help us endure hard times better than our faith. Unless that's not the quote you're talking about. Yeah, it is. Okay. But maybe there's another part of it that I didn't read. I'd like to speak today on the subject of humility. A lot of you have just won re-election. If you hadn't, you might not be sitting here. And of course, we should enjoy our success and be grateful for it. But never let your gratitude sour into pride. That's
0: that's the line that I liked. Mm-hmm. Never let your gratitude sour into pride.
1: Right. Because it definitely could be your downfall. Mm-hmm. Um which is an important aspect to hidden politics.
0: See, that's what I wonder about the show, is I wonder if... Because we've seen in four seasons Frank rise to power. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the rest of it will be his downfall.
1: Right, because if you continue the quote, um, the priest continues to say, you have many challenges ahead over the next couple of years. So this is like setting up the show. Yeah. Um, And a person's character isn't determined by how he or she enjoys victory, but rather how he or she endures defeat. And so depending on how long this show is going I don't know if they have it planned like planned out way longer mm. but I can definitely see foreshadowing from this one quote in the pilot
0: yeah because if that's another thing that I really like about David Fincher is everything's really deliberate mm-hmm. and I think we kind of talked about that with him setting up his shots but it's also the way that his actors speak mm-hmm. is also very deliberate right which I wish more people would employ yeah but yep so yeah do you have anything else to say add comment Um,
1: I really enjoyed it I mean I've seen it before I'm caught up on the show this is making me want to rewatch it again though mm-hmm. so I'm pretty sure I'll start doing that
0: oh yeah season one was amazing mm-hmm.
1: uh, just like well not every show but like a lot of shows there are ups and downs and I think the third season was one that didn't do so great for me yeah but it definitely picked up in the most recent season so it's still a great show all around And for next week, we haven't really decided exactly what we're going to do.
0: It'll be a surprise to you and ourselves.
1: Yes. It'll probably be another TV show, though.
0: Yeah, because we're definitely, like I said in the beginning, um, this month we're going to be focusing on serialized content. Um, We mentioned maybe watching Westworld. Yes. House of Cards. We just did.
1: (laughs) Game of Thrones, maybe. Maybe Breaking Bad.
0: Yeah. Also, possibly Stranger Things. um, I'm thinking uh-huh. Man in
1: the High Castle. That's neat. one
0: that I haven't finished watching.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll do that. Is the fourth or one.
0: I can make you watch Mad Men.
1: Yeah. I kind of wanted to watch it anyway. So we'll see. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But it'll definitely be some type of
0: television, television.
1: show.
0: Like we're probably going to either pick um, our favorite episode or the highest rated episode and yeah. watch it. So. Be on the lookout. Yep.
1: And thanks for listening.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you want to hear more from us, be sure to check us out on Twitter at am film school
1: and at Facebook uh, at Amateur Film School.
0: Yep. Um, and if you have any comments or suggestions, go ahead and email us at filmschool at gmail dot com. And we'll see you later.
1: That's a wrap.